0: Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Hello and welcome. It is Thursday, June the 1st, a brand new month here. It is Pollock and back from Las Vegas, Brandon Thurston. You're back from the West Coast. Are you still are you still moving? Are you still thinking straight, Brandon? It's been a lot of time spent in the air for you over the past couple of days.
2: Yeah, I've never been to the Pacific time zone before, but now I have. Uh I, I, I went went to bed early on Tuesday, but I mm-hmm. but I did catch up and watch Dark Side of the Ring, so I'm prepared for today.
1: Yes, you did uh, the, the requisite homework as we uh, welcome in our very special guest. He is the uh, the co-creator, executive producer of Dark Side of the Ring, which just kicked off its fourth season, airing Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern on Vice. He is Evan Husney, who is with us. Evan, how are you today?
3: Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing good, man. Good to be back. Good to be uh, talking with you again, John. And hey, Brandon, how's it going? Hi. <clears throat>
1: I've got to ask, Evan. You know, whenever it is the upcoming season of Dark Side, you really pound the pavement when it comes to promoting and getting out there. Are <laughs> is your head just spinning at, at this point? And <laughs> because I mean, I give you guys a lot of credit, man. You guys get out there and really get the word out when it comes to, um, you know, the
3: time to promote the season. Oh man, thank you so much. Yeah, it it, it has been it has been crazy. I just got back from Toronto, uh, actually yesterday. And we did a, a our first ever like cast and crew screening because, uh, you know, the pandemic had kind of shut us down for quite a number of years there. And so we weren't ever able to like get the team together to like celebrate the show <laughs> ever before. So and I, I had people who've worked on the show for three years and I've never met them in person. So it was pretty crazy. So there's a lot of stuff that's been going on, but it's been great. And the response to the episode has been um, it's been great. And so, yeah, man, just just keep on, keeping on.
1: I'm going to ask a very Toronto specific question right now. Are you wearing a Sugo hat?
3: Yeah, I wore it just for you. Oh man. Sugo Sugo. is what is this? I'm from
2: Buffalo,
1: man. (laughs) I mean, to describe this place, like it's this awesome (laughs) Italian restaurant that is adorned with all this boxing memorabilia. And it's like 10 minutes from my house and it is fantastic. Yeah. uh, Just
3: to put, just to put Sugo over for a minute. I live in New York city. I have access to all the greatest Italian you can imagine here. And I still think, you know, Sugo's king, man. I go to Toronto for Italian. That's how good this place is, you know. So Sugo, if you're ever in Toronto, you got to try it out. It's just amazing, red sauce, classic, Amazing. Yeah. And it. it's got a Tim Hortons, uh thirty seconds, uh, <laughs> yeah. bit as well. So anyway, that's, right. that's um, right.
0: That that wraps
1: the interview, everyone. We have, we have <laughs> right, everything Sugo, about we're their Side of the Ring. This Tuesday
2: nights to ten. Yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, uh,
1: a question for you is when when an episode premieres. Sort of how how are you sort of Are are you online actively as the show is rolling out? Are you watching it and watching it with with different eyes, with reaction? What is sort of your sort of habits when it comes to uh, when the premiere of a new episode is dropping?
3: Well, typically, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely look at the response. You know, I know all the big moments that are coming. So I'm always curious to see like the live reaction that people have to certain things. Um, this time around, again, we were with, you know, we were with our crew. So it was great to like see it in a theater. We screened it at the Royal there in college. So it was cool just to like, you know, see it in a, in a theater setting like that. So that was a little bit different. But for the most part, yeah, I'm, I am watching it in tune with the audience. I'm, I'm always curious on what the reaction is going to be. And, um, and from what I could tell, it seemed pretty positive. I mean, it, it wasn't an easy episode to put together. I'll, I'll, I will say that. Um, there was a lot of, you know, It was like, I'm sure we'll get into this, but, you know, there was different roads we could have taken in terms of had we had access to Tammy to do Mm -hmm. an interview with her. The episode probably would have opened up and probably become a two hour I probably would have been able to sell that more to the network (laughs) based on that. But so we basically had this like 45 minute sandbox and we had to fit a lot of stuff in. So um, and I know that's always the challenge and you got to you got to let a lot of great stuff go, you know, when you're trying to fit it in into that. Um, but I think all in all, I'm, I'm super happy with how it came out, you know, given all of those kind of parameters and restrictions and things like that.
2: Yeah, I, I was looking up the, on on the show daily website. They post like the top 150 cable originals every day. And I was looking at all of the, all the instances where vice has shown up there and like the top 15 <laughs> are all dark side of the ring. I think all dark side of the ring. And then there's some more that are dark side of this or that. Um, yeah. So I, I was sort of pleasantly surprised to see there's a fourth season. You know, there's that break there, and you guys did Tales of the Territories. Um, yeah. Like what what led to the, the fourth season actually happening?
3: Well, I mean, I think there was always plans for a fourth season. Um, there probably would have been a move where, you know, during Tales from the Territories, maybe we could have balanced doing both. I was a little hesitant to do both because I really wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to put a lot of my energy into tales from the territories Could be very hands-on and to try and you know make it as good as it could possibly be uh and i think that if i were spread thin between that and doing dark side at the same time maybe one or the other would have suffered a little more and so it was just kind of my own choice i think at the end of the day too um so it was always in the cards to do tales from the territories it was like two and a half, maybe even three years before it came out, that we had been pitching it and wanted to do it. You know, we had met Seven Bucks Productions and, you know, Dwayne's team, and we really wanted to make this. And so that it felt like that was the right time. Like after season three, we take a little break, do our side project. It's like, you know, we're a band. We've done these three records, you know, and now we wanted to try a side project and then get back you know now we're back with the fourth album so it was always in the it was always in the plans to do a fourth season so um but it it felt really good getting back to it i I do right as we were wrapping up territories we were starting right into season four there was like no break there was actually some overlap and it was like okay now we're getting back to you know what we do and i and now that that, that was a great feeling for sure (laughs) was there ever um a time
1: that you felt pretty confident that Tammy would be on board for this episode or was, and so that sort of broke down as you guys were already in the midst of putting the show together.
3: Yeah. I thought there was probably a few days (laughs) of like finger crossing where I felt like it was going to happen and I was really excited about that. I think it would have taken the episode in a completely different direction, but it was the, that cutoff deadline of it happening or not, or like us having to move on. Was like it was right up to the wire. Like it it would have it would have put us in a pretty tricky position to finish everything on time. But it was right up against that. Like I was waiting, you know, pins and needles, waiting to hear back from the legal team as if 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 this was going to happen. And then ultimately, you know, she was advised, uh, you know, against participating. Um, and I think I think she wanted to do it. That's the sense that I got that she wanted to do it, and she might have just done it anyway. But I think she listened to her legal team. And so, um, you know, which I totally understand. She's got, you know, she's got a court case coming up. She's got all this stuff. You know, you don't want to influence, have anything influence a jury one way or the other. I totally understand that. So, so, uh, but yeah, there, there was a time where I thought, man, this, this was going to be, you know, which it, it definitely would have made it epic in a different way for sure.
2: Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought you guys did a fair job of. You know, and, and J- John was talking about it last night because I did listen to, to his review of it. Um, of, oh. you know, it, it, it would have been easy to to sort of paint Tammy in a, in a negative light and consider you know, the legal problems she's had. Um, mm. but I think you guys did a, did a fair job of showing, you know, Chris Candino as being a, a sympathetic subject and, and, you know, sh- showing the problems that Tammy had. So like, I mean, every one of these episodes, it, there's, it's, there's a dark side to it. So I'm just wondering, like, how you, and we think about this as reporters, too, how do you sure. avoid being just neutral for the sake of being neutral, but also, you know, tell the truth and and, and be fair while respecting people's families? You know, a lot of mm-hmm. people have passed away who you're covering here.
3: Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, you know, the, the name Dark Side of the Ring, I think, kind of evokes a more negative or maybe could infer like maybe more of like a tabloid approach, you know, to this industry. Um, which never really was our goal. You know, I think, I think more with dark side of the ring, we were hoping with that title is it would be more evocative of sort of the reenactments and the atmospheric kind of quality of the sort of, for lack of a better term, feel like film noir kind of style that we give to the, uh, the show. But I think what we've always done, even before we had that name when we were making the first season, which we didn't we didn't have the name of the show while we were working on the first season, um, is that we tried to really create like a human portrait of these wrestlers and these wrestling personalities that we grew up, you know, idolizing. We really wanted to ground them and show them as the real people they are, you know, behind these larger than life sort of, you know, caricature facades. And I think that's what we always try and do is we lead with empathy. That's what we'd always have tried to do. Like instead of pointing a finger, judging somebody or creating like a a, a situation or, show- or showing a situation is very black or white, you know. It's more complicated than that. And so we always try to keep that in mind. Um, and and to try and give a very human empathetic portrait of these people because we do love this business and we do and we grew up as huge fans. So we are kind of walking that tightrope, you know, between like our personal feeling, you know, f- and, and like affection and, um, for wrestling, but also being faithful to the story. And that's what we try and do is here's the story and any, and, and we try to just, you know, we try to let the. Inter, like, like the actual subjects we interview, we try to let them speak and show their point of view, you know, rather than our point of view coming through and it being like, okay, here's how you should feel about this. I think we do a good job of leaving it in the audience's hands at the end of the day. And so those are the main things that we try to keep is like, you know, try to be empathetic, try to lead with the heart, but then also leave it open, you know, for, for, for viewers to really come to their own conclusions. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, uh,
1: Johnny Candido, who's really great on, on this episode, if you haven't already seen it. And, uh, John Cosper had put out a book on Chris Candido. That's a, a really great, um, you know, summary of, of his life. But one of the people that was part of the book was Chris's father, Don. And one of his quotes is that Christopher's biggest problem and the reason for 99% of his actions and issues was his involvement with Tammy. All I will say here is that if Tammy never entered his life, he would be alive and happy today. And she knows it It's pretty definitive and harsh criticism of Tammy in your time sitting down with, with Peggy and with Johnny. Mm-hmm. Was that overall the impression you came away with? And sort of tell me a bit about, like, the process here that it would seem like the family certainly has an opinion uh, of Tammy.
3: Yeah, that is a really good question. Um So... Yeah, it it was very obvious just in the in the conversations. I've read Johnny's book too, you know, uh, as well uh, leading up to this, which I do recommend. You know, shout out to um, you know Johnny Candido's book about Chris. If you're interested in further reading, it's a great thing to pick up uh, for this, this. You know, Chris's story, a lot of eye opening stuff in there. I did find that in my research and in my initial conversations with the family, they obviously have very strong feelings towards Tammy you know pretty much sums up what you're saying there from that quote but I will say when it came time to sit down and to do the interview and to tell the story they were very conscious of not wanting to uh, man for lack of a better term like take cheap shots or Mm -hmm. you know uh, to be disrespectful even if in certain cases it might be warranted you know uh, they really wanted to be respectful of her, uh, just even given her present situation. It was almost like, you know, uh, it speaks for itself. It, it, that was kind of the impression I got from what they were saying. And I think that was the right approach for them to take uh, of just like, uh, just objectively, like, you know, they they were being very conscious of being respectful and not wanting to, uh, you know, kick somebody when they're down, I guess, if that makes sense. Um And I think that, I think that made the piece stronger at the end of the day, you know, for me, you know, just objectively seeing that.
1: Is there a different criteria that you look at today in terms of what makes a successful show versus season one when you're trying to get this off the ground, find that following? How is, how is just your own sort of self-evaluation of a, a show and how it's received changed over the seasons?
3: Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, season one, I think we were really trying to figure out what we wanted the show to be. I think in the beginning we sort of set out for it to really feel like here's an exploration of this, this kind of exotic world from the point of view, like from outside looking in, like here is, this isn't a show that's going to be for wrestling fans. You know, I mean, obviously they're going to watch it, but it's for a general audience. It's for people who, you know, have a, cursory understanding of what wrestling is but maybe they've written it off maybe they 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 think it's just a bunch of phony bs and um you know we're not going to pay attention to it because a lot of media before had you know a lot of a lot of documentaries that were produced you know or exposés or news programs or anytime they cover it they never really gave it the respect because oh well it's just a bunch of fake stuff and so why should we care and you know and, and i think that's led to wrestling kind of being in this sort of gray area, you know, where it, it's not governed by the same rules and logic that, you know, the rest of the real world is. Um, so I thought it would just be fascinating to try and bring a deeper understanding, you know, of this industry and the people behind it for a more general audience. That's like our main goal, right? I think that's evolved over the seasons where, I mean, we've always kept that in mind. We always keep the the non-fan in mind and how are we going to make them care about these individuals? How are we going to make them relate to these subjects and these stories, um, because you can, I mean, even though this is a crazy world of wrestling, you can really relate to a lot of the stories that are on the show. Um, and I think just like for me, it's, it's, you know, always trying to keep in mind, how can we see the world through the weird lens of wrestling? I think that's another thing. And that's, that that's changed over time. But for me, it's maybe it hasn't changed that much. It's just really about this exploration of you have the meeting of a of a very fantastical heightened world with the consequences of reality and like the 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 blurred lines of those two things kind of meeting and i think that's always been the most fascinating aspect the best episodes of our show are the ones that really examine that tension between those two things um and um that's what we're always looking for with the episodes is like that tension i feel like <clears throat> and with um you know,
2: with in season 3 there was a plane ride from hell episode and there was some speculation that maybe maybe there wouldn't be a fourth a fourth season because some people would be hesitant mm-hmm. about uh sitting down for interviews with the news that followed out of that episode around Ric Flair and Tommy Dreamer was was that an issue at all getting getting people to to tape interviews with you
3: it really wasn't no um i mean some 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 wrestlers uh you know referenced that you know but at the end of the day i mean it's it's like <laughs> Well, first off, the, the 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 idea that there wouldn't be another season it, 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 to me was always very like I, I couldn't quite understand that, you know. And I've grown up reading the wrestling newsletters and you know these you know a lot of the articles that get written, you know, <laughs> taking a lot of liberties with some headlines and things like that. And I've always kind of it's just funny to be part of that ecosystem as a fan now to like see it firsthand and to experience it where where like speculation you know snowballs into fact, right? Um, Somebody else reports it, and it's the game. Yeah, yeah, it just keeps going on and on and on. So it's just funny to see how that takes on a life of its own when it's like, no, no, we had a very successful season, and like, you know, there there be no reason to to not make more. Um, and but but for me, it's like that situation is very simple. It was, you know, this is the story we were telling, and the people the people we talked to even ahead of time on the phone to like it. Okay. What's your story? Okay, great. Then we're going to put you on the show. And this Mm -hmm. is what they came to share. This is the, this is the point of view that they came to share on the show. And, and we were completely a hundred percent faithful to everybody's point of view and what they wanted to share with that episode. And, um, and so I think it got pretty controversial. I don't think really anybody in, from our side, you know, and even the, I definitely, the people who were in the episode felt like it would have that amount of controversy or blowback or whatever. So I do think there was like walking back, you know, some of the things that, you know, were said on the program or and everything. But like for us, it's like, it's never been about, um, you know, like I was saying earlier, it's it's never been about like, you know, OK, here's we're judging somebody and this is a black or white situation, you know, or whatever. This is a complicated situation. And I think for all of us, it's always been at the heart is to tell the story and to be faithful to the point of views of the people that have um, showed up on camera. And, and that's, you know, that's what you got with that. And uh, Mike, you need
2: the, the detail right that Heidi Doyle, the, the flight attendant, she broke an NDA to talk with you
3: for that one. I'm not sure exactly what her situation was. Okay. It was if she did or not. It was it was uh, basically just you know reaching out, and then she agreed to do the interview. The other flight attendant we did speak to didn't agree to do the interview. Okay, do you have I any idea that, cause how? I d- I know. Sorry. We can oh, sorry. I was other. just
1: going to ask, like, did you get feedback from Heidi Doyle on how she felt the episode came across and presented her story? Because, I mean, in all of this controversy, it seems so much was around Ric Flair that Heidi Doyle yeah. was, was somewhat, like, forgotten in all totally. of this. And here's someone that goes on camera, on the record. I agree. And speaks about this. And I thought that was kind of an unfortunate part of the controversy and what was focused on.
3: I agree. I mean, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, to answer the first part of your question she did contact us after seeing it and thanked and thanked us you know for uh sharing her story um and her experiences um but i totally agree i think the takeaway and she says it in the episode which i think is a is is uh you know one aspect of the takeaway of the episode it's not like you know do i wish harm on this person or you know am i trying to you know take a shot at this person no it's about maybe if this story in hearing this story and I think this this goes for a lot of the episodes that we do. You know, Grizzly Smith, Chris Benoit, whatever. Own heart is how can you see this story, hear this story, and examine maybe your own experiences? Maybe you were uh, subject to a similar uh, experience, you know, or maybe you did something to somebody else, and you should, you know, maybe examine your behavior, you know, and maybe that that helps you, you know, relate to this story on some level. And I think that from in my opinion was kind of or should have been at least the big takeaway from it you know um and i think to people outside of the wrestling world i think it probably was like how much cooperation has there
2: been with with wwe i noticed like for one thing there's there's a lot of w clips that if if we included like on one of our youtube videos we'd probably get a copyright strike or something but there's a (laughs) a ton of w footage in there so i was wondering if, if, if there's some kind of agreement there
3: uh, no, we have no, um, we have no agreement, you know, with WWE, you know, where, you know, independent doc production, you, you know, uh, telling these stories in a journalistic light. And that allows you, you know, um, some so this is fair you know, use legal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with tales from the territories, you know, we were able to get access to, it was a, you know, it's a different show. We were able to get access to some of the talent from WWE. So we had that, um, relationship but there there's there's no official relationship at all with wwe for dark side of the ring you know i mean jerry mcdivitt showed up on our season three finale um which i would imagine i don't know for sure but i would imagine that he you know had to get some permission for that but there's no um you know formal you know relationship between the two. Yeah, of, of all the
2: episodes I've seen, like that, that
3: was the most captivating
2: one to me is just Jeremy McDibott talking mm-hmm. about his relationship with Vince. I like I came away from that being like, somebody could write a
3: movie just about like the
2: relationship between those two. It's
3: amazing. Oh yeah, I mean it was a really interesting um uh opportunity for us to be able to you know uh tell a story from yeah from within WWE, you know, from someone who's so close to Vince and who's been there through so many um, you know, the controversies and the legal battles and things like that. It's just a very interesting, I think, fresh new perspective for us, uh, to be able to get. And, um, yeah, and, and I totally agree. I was very, very excited when we were able to work with him, uh, on that. I think that, that kind of, you know, w- was a step in a different direction for sure.
1: You produce so many of these episodes, you get this direct feedback and, and you saw sort of the, like the, the fallout, um, regarding Ric Flair. But in another sense, you bring up, vince mcmahon and it's something very interesting about this industry that i think that there is there's a lot of reverence for these figures that a lot of the audience has grown up idolizing that yeah. i think are i think that there is not the same standard that some of these people that would be held in different industries <laughs> and i'm kind of curious yeah. about your own thoughts about just professional wrestling and it seemed that you know with the rick flair thing it, it made me uneasy that it was almost as though well this is, this is too big of a star to take down. This is, this is making me uncomfortable as a fan. And I think like that is, it's almost like this tiered system of where this idolization of certain people that it's like, they are above just just basic, you know, stories that are reflected on their reputation.
3: Well, it's a complicated thing. You know, it's something our culture has been examining now, I think, you know, for the past several years, I think it goes hand in hand a little bit with what I was saying before, which is any other form of entertainment, any other form of, you know, uh, besides wrestling, I feel like, you know, accountability would be much more of the common uh, <laughs> expectation, I feel like. I think in, in, in wrestling, it's it, there is this harder, firmer line between, you know, the person who they are in real life and the person who they portray on camera. You know, and it's it's so mixed together and it's so blurred that I think it's allowed this industry, um, you know, a lot of leeway in certain ways. The way, just the way it's looked at by like government agencies, the way it's looked at by, you know, insurance companies, the way it's looked at by a lot of different levels of scrutiny. I think is it just it's 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 unique in that way. I think if a similar situation occurred in any other field it would be a completely different response, I feel like.
0: This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of seen as five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister, And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What
1: have you learned in terms of, like so much is focused upon like the, the number of that first airing on a Tuesday night on vice like what do you feel is in terms of like consumption like there are many ways to consume dark side of the ring what do you feel like vice tv puts the most value on have you been like part of those discussions and what have you just learned about the television industry in 2023
3: <laughs> I mean I'm not a huge part of those conversations I mean sometimes I'll you know put my I'll put my opinion on You know what episode I think should open the season and which one I think should end it, and I, you you can't really choose that all the time because it does relate to the production schedule a lot of the times. Like for example, um, there's only I think four episodes that are finished (laughs) of the season right now, and the other six we're actually shooting stuff right now, like in the studio as we speak. For I think uh, I think we're shooting stuff today for uh, the Bam Bam Bigelow episode, so you have to imagine that. Like we're shooting stuff right now that's going to be on the air in seven weeks. So the it's it's a pretty intense, like, uh, you know, schedule we have. That being said, um, to answer your question, like, yeah, there's there isn't a lot of input or thing. You know, I mean, ratings to me is like this thing I'm trying to, like, fully understand. You know, we still are part of the broadcast cable world like wrestling is, you know, like professional wrestling shows are. Um you know, But I, I think our show has taken on these different lives where, yeah, people watch it on broadcast. Probably more of the wrestling crowd watches it on broadcast cable because that's how they're used to watching wrestling, right? Every week. They,
1: they're evergreen.
3: Um, I mean, this is not... Like, yeah, <laughs> like, right. There's not a whole lot of fans, I think, just pop on an
1: episode of Raw from two months ago. But these, exactly They have great value in terms of, you know...
3: For, they do. Yeah. They do. And that was a huge part of me petitioning to get the show greenlit in the first place was, you know... It was a previous regime at Vice. Not, it's a completely, totally different regime than it was to, that it is today, or it has been since around like season two of the show. But it was really, really, really hard to get this show across uh, the you know green like in the green light zone because there was no familiarity with that wrestling audience, and it was just kind of that age old stereotype of like you know wrestling fans aren't affluent and they're not mean they're, their ratings don't mean anything and blah blah blah. But it's like no, I mean, and it was right at the rise of AEW. It was right when AEW had announced the TV deal that they were getting, and it was like, look, you have two major companies now in these different cable channels, um, and and that was a huge part of being able to convince Vice in order to finally pull the trigger to air these shows because they were sitting on a shelf for a little bit, um, and so then there was that uh, aspect of it. But yeah, it's funny, like the non-wrestling fans, the ones that were kind of gearing the short the, the, the show towards. They sort of kind of come in, I think more when it's like on Hulu. It's that second window down in the States. You don't have Hulu up in Canada, but you know, you, you guys have Crave. Um, mm-hmm. but like I have for, okay. For... Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but I think a lot of people just rediscovered the show during the pandemic via Hulu when the, when the episodes finally hit there. And I think that was a second wave of enthusiasm for the show, which kind of helped us getting into, you know, season three and season now four. Yeah. And, and Vice seems to embrace wrestling
2: more since then, right? Like, absolutely. They're they're airing Women of Wrestling at, at like one in the morning, apparently, right, in the nice. last couple of months. I um, didn't even know that. Wow. Yeah. And got <clears throat> an, an MLW special and and, and Tales of the yep. Territory. Um, but I, I know oh, Vice yeah. Vice Media Group is going through bankruptcy, and yeah. I don't know if that if you do you anticipate that's going to have any impact on Dark Side of the Ring or or anything like that.
3: No, I mean my my understanding, you know, from a lot of the meetings that I've been a part of, and you know, talking to you know people who are way above my pay grade over there, and and who are more part of the day to day of the company. Obviously, I'm you know I just work on the show and they air it, you know, so I don't I'm not part of any of those conversations. But from what I gather, you know, Vice TV is a separate entity from the Vice Media Group, you know, and Vice Studios is is as well, which uh, produces a lot of the content um, internally, like. You know, films, documentaries, doc series, things like that, internally and externally for other platforms like Netflix, Amazon, whatever, HBO. And um, those are separate companies. So it's really kind of the core digital business, you know, Vice Media Group that is, you know, going through the Chapter 11 process right now. So as far as everything we've been told and everything, you know, that we, as we understand, you know, the Vice TV shows. Um, from a production standpoint, and from the television channel standpoint, are completely unaffected by what's going on otherwise. But again, I'm not a official, you know, uh, person, you know, uh, yeah, representative. There's, know, there's, there's, there's your headline coming out of this. Uh, <laughs> I know, God,
1: ah, Evan husky <laughs> on the future Vice TV
3: revealed. <laughs> it's, it's already out there. It's already out there. It's <laughs> already on TurnbuckleNews.net. Yeah, go ahead. Um, <laughs> my, my
1: last question is uh, n- next week, you've got a Magnum TA, which is like a really a- inspiring story on, on Terry yeah. Allen. But I would yeah. say of the 10 episodes, the one I am most intrigued by is uh, June 13th with the Graham family. And this oh. is um, I just find Eddie Graham to be such a interesting figure that we, we've we gotten like bits and pieces and he influenced so many people. But like for those going in cold, like it's it's a very, very sad story involving the Graham mm. family and like. Generational issues of like uh, of suicide, and I don't know if people yeah. are necessarily going into this with. Um, I'm just I'm really fascinated by um, yeah. that episode, and I'm sure it was a really interesting one, and I was glad that you guys went this direction to look at the Graham family.
3: It's definitely a heavier one for sure, uh, and and there is uh, you know appropriate trigger warnings at the top of the episode because mm-hmm. it does deal with you know pretty heavy conversation of. A generational tragedy of, you know, suicide almost being passed down, you know, like this hereditary thing through the generations of this family. And um, it extends four generations, which yeah. is so crazy. I mean, you have Eddie Graham, one of the best, most amazing visionary minds in wrestling history you know, promoter of championship wrestling from Florida, which we covered a lot in Tales from the Territories when we did that up ep- when we did that episode. Um and this kind of led to finally doing this for season four. It had been always pitched to us, like Dutch Tell had said, you gotta do the Graham family or Jim Cornette, you gotta do the Graham family. And so finally we 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 really looked at it, um especially you know like as I said after territories. And um yeah so Eddie Graham, uh his father and uncle took you know took their own lives he eventually would take his own life. His son, Mike Graham, who went on to be a wrestler and also, you know, a, an important figure backstage at WCW during the 90s heyday. Um, he would take his own life and his son took his own life. Um, not necessarily all in that order, but you know, it kind of echoes back to the von Erich episode of um, season one, just kind of looking at here's sort of like this, you know, this just re- just relentless, kind of unfathomable, familial tragedy one after the other um, and so for us you know it was pretty heavy to to look at all that but of course we wanted to find some meaning in that in order to you know like like what's the motivation to sort of go there on that journey and bring fans and viewers you know through that journey and I, it really the heart and the soul of the episode is um, Mike Graham's daughter uh, Nicole who you hear from I don't think she's ever really done an interview or talked very much about this. But she um, is sort of the one to break the cycle, if you will, in the family. And that's kind of her big message. That's the title of the episode. It's Breaking the Cycle, the Graham Dynasty. And um, I think, you know, she's become a big mental health um, advocate, you know, raising awareness, you know, for this and suicide prevention. And that is a big part of the episode. Um, but it is it is a roller coaster ride uh, of the episode. It does get into obviously, you know, how great Eddie was and Mike and the territory, you know, at its at the height of its powers and things like that. But it definitely gets into some grim territory. Uh, absolutely. But at least at the end, there's a very, you know, positive, inspirational takeaway. And then the other and, uh, subjects
1: uh this season include uh, Junkyard Dog, Adrian Adonis, Bash at the Beach 2000, Abdullah the Butcher, <laughs> Bam Bam Bigelow and then the season finale is on Marty Jannetty. Did MJ. you request <laughs> did you request that as the uh finale?
3: <laughs> I requested it. Uh it will you know I did actually. Um I I did and it was able to work out that the just the schedule-wise that we were able to do that. Um, it's, it's a pretty unique episode. I will say that, um, I, I've mentioned this on other interviews leading up to it. It was something, I think, it, I can't remember the timeline exactly, but it seems like to me when that story emerged about him potentially, you know, killing somebody in a bowling alley, I think that emerged when we were in production on season three, I want to say. And, um, that's when it really you know all the dark side memes started coming out you know when that when that news hit you know and that's what's kind of fun to watch you know you see like a modern controversy unfold in wrestling and then you see all the dark side fan edits or memes that kind of pop up on social media it's kind of fun to see but it was really happening during then and then it was kind of yeah what would a marty genetti episode look like and then um I think we made the right choice in that, you know, most of the interviews we do for the show, it's like, okay, we're setting up, we're with the person for maybe two to three hours, we're in, we're out, that's it, you know, and that's all we're pretty much, that's just time wise and what we're allowed to pretty much do in order to, you know, keep on schedule. But for this, we knew that that would just not be the right call. Like, I think to really understand Marty and to get the true essence of him, you know, we had to sort of embed with him for several days. And that's what we did. We actually spent a total of four days with him. Um, which is the most we've ever been with anybody on the show. So I think that that it has a different kind of verite feel to it than I think most of the other episodes do. Um, and it really examines, obviously, his rise, you know, to stardom with uh, Shawn Michaels. But it's obviously a lot of that kind of more, um, no pun intended, post wrestling kind of life where, um. You know, yeah, he had a lot of opportunities after Shawn Michael, like after the Rockers to kind of try to recapture, you know, that. But I think he kind of squandered, self-sabotaged. You know, he had gone through a lot of drug issues and problems, and we do get into that. But we also get into this kind of like fantasy universe that Marty has kind of created, I think, uh, you know, from being out of the spotlight for so many years. It's kind of perpetuating that same sort of, you know, fictitious storyline universe you know despite being out of wrestling for a while and he's an incredible amount of pain as well too uh which is just crazy we interviewed his doctors and his, we asked his doctors like uh, on a scale of one to ten how much pain is marty in on a day-to-day basis and they were like mm, 12 you know it's 12 and so um so we really get into that i think it's really a portrait of somebody in wrestling who made a big impact who's still with us and you know trying to trying to trying to become used to being out of the spotlight can you say is that going
2: to be one of the longer episodes it's going to be beyond 60 minutes
3: no it's a traditional episode length yeah
1: uh one final question we'll let you go evan this is a super chat that comes in from a Our man, Neil, can (laughs) any use be made of the unaired portions of the interviews? Uh, For example, could they be released in a companion podcast or transcribed in a companion book? Could you see any um, repurposing for I mean, you must be sitting on just hours and hours.
3: (laughs) We are. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Great question, Neil. Um, You know, one of the things I've really I've been pitching um, and maybe I'll just put it out there. And if people haven't, you know, if there's enthusiasm for this, then. Maybe it'll help me in my, in my pitching process, but, um, we've been approached by a couple of like podcast, uh, uh, production companies or, you know, whatever producers about, you know, what, what could, what could a dark side of the ring kind of like podcast look like? And to me, um, there's so much great footage, uh, that we have, obviously, I mean, you have to imagine, like I said, every interview we do is at least two and a half hours. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, sometimes I think like Bret Hart is five, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, um, you know, uh, man, you know, cornets can be, you know, four. You know, they they're, they're long, and um, there's so much great stuff there. Side stories, you know, and some of the ta- sometimes, unfortunately, uh, some of these are kind of the last real big interview of some of, some some of these wrestlers who've left us since like uh, I think about, you know, road warrior animal or new Jack or, you know, people who've left us since doing the interview. Um, And they're kind of these last big interviews. So I think it would be cool. And I've tried to pitch it is where it's like a, a podcast series where we're, I think that's the best format for it. Honestly, you know, instead of like, I think extended episodes would be tough to do because, you know, look, we go into the studio, we shoot reenactments, we only shoot the stuff we need. And there's, you know, it would, it would kind of, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be difficult to do like extended versions, but I think Perfect having for sort a podcast. of podcast yeah. for a podcast. Yeah. Just to like, you know, maybe one of us is like editorializing it or, you know, framing these long form interviews. And I'm sure fans would love to just, you know, go to town on some of these. Um, and there, there are a lot of great ones out there or even folks, none come to mind who didn't make maybe final, you know, cuts of the episode or, you know, uh, or really them very briefly. So yeah, I think that would be very cool. I'd love to do that someday. So I've definitely been thinking about it and trying to pitch it. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone,
1: you can check out uh, season four of Dark Side of the Ring, Tuesday nights, 10 Eastern on Vice. Evan, thanks uh, for being so generous with your time. All the best this season. And uh, next time you're up in Toronto, we will uh, we can go grab a meatball.
3: <laughs> oh, my God. Sugo, you and me, will do it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again, guys. I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Thanks, Evan. Evan.
1: There we go. Evan Husney from New York City. Brandon, maybe you, maybe we'll go to Sugo, uh, forbidden door weekend. Okay. We'll, we'll go. There might not um, be time. You're, you're right a, before, right before, um, the forbidden poor. Maybe that's right. That's right. A great pre meal before the forbidden poor. So yes, that, that is coming up, uh, in a, in a quick, uh, nutshell, uh, how was your
2: trip to Las Vegas? It was very good. Uh, I, I was only there for like, like four hours, something like that. Um, I got to walk around. I had I had some time between when I got to the hotel and when I when the, the show started. So I walked around. I don't know. I've heard of this thing called the Las Vegas Strip. I, I don't mm. know. I'm, I'm sure I was near it, but I was you know I was in a hotel very close to T-Mobile Arena, and it was it was like tourist city. And there's a roller coaster and Statue of Liberty uh, and something that looks like the Empire State Building. Even though yes, I was in Las Vegas, not New York City. Um, very hot. Uh, definitely a desert. There's mountains in the distance, which I've oh, never yeah. experienced before. We we, we should have
1: gone up there with Wheeler
2: Yuta, done some neck bridges. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was good. Uh, the 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 show was you know uh, it was a good experience. I know it was not reviewed as the best uh, EAW pay per view. Um, but the, the press conference experience was good. Um, as we sit here, I have. I mean, I didn't have this while Evan was on. I have Dark Side of the Ring ratings. Uh, oh
1: well, why don't you why don't, why don't
2: you drop them on us? Because I have not seen them. Uh, six. Let's see here, hundred and forty-seven thousand viewers is what the Chris and Tammy episode did. 147,005 in the demo. Oh five. In this is the an demo. exclusive here, folks. But That's I don't, an exclusive. I'm just I don't think uh, this is
1: on Showbuzz. So yeah, the not. last uh, season of uh, Dark side we had. The, the last episode was the steroid trials, uh, which was back in 2021. So that, that finale did 154,000.06 and that was the second highest of the season. The big one in, okay, they, they split up the season. So this second half, uh, you had Chris Canyon doing 214,000, Dynamite Kid 242,000, Grizzly Smith did 243. The big one was Pillman. Pillman did 272. Yeah. And that, that was a two hour episode. That was a two hour episode episodes so um yeah 140 is sort of on the uh the lower end of some of these although it was ahead of some of these episodes Um, uh, you know it was ahead of like xpw luna johnny canine fmw so um yeah i it, it was interesting to hear about sort of you know tammy sitch and what her involvement would or would not have been if it was it seems you know as evan stated like uh, at a point they thought they would have her and She's i was actually her, in prison right now i think I believe uh, – yeah, I don't think she is
2: – So out, presumably um, she would be interviewing from prison.
1: Yeah. That's my understanding is that she's awaiting her trial. Um yeah. And yeah, I – you know, we, there have been, you know, cases where, you know, you are – you can still do an interview from oh, prison. Yeah. But I can Carly understand Nansen why. That, yeah. That's it. So – um, I don't know how much difference, um, maybe that opens up, uh, the door, especially if it's a two hour episode. Again, I think if you read the book, like it is much more harsh on like Tammy Sitch and hearing from the, the father of Chris Candido and, and Johnny as well. But it sounds like, you know, for this series, they did not want to maybe necessarily just trash Tammy here, but it's, um, it's a good companion. If you have seen the, uh, the dark side episode, um, did you have any other thoughts on, on the episode having watched it?
2: Not especially. I mean, next week is is Magnum TA, and I, I'm biased, and I'm I'm awaiting the uh, the reenactment silhouettes of Megabyte Magnum TA, which Megabyte Ronnie is, is is apparently the person who is doing the reenactments for for Magnum TA.
1: Okay, that's that's a good uh, that's a good casting call.
2: Okay. Yeah, I've seen the I've seen a picture of him like taking a picture back backstage or whatever you would call it, and it looks very correct, very.
1: Do you have a Do you have any uh, medical <laughs> updates on any security guards that took fireballs at Double or Nothing?
2: Uh, no, I, I don't. Uh, I don't have any medical updates. To that, this was a I,
1: Brandon Thurston trainee that was, uh, yeah. you know, you got to see his, his face lit on fire
2: by the wizard, Chris Air yeah, Kubiak. And I think he's done like a AW dark match or something like that, somewhere along the lines. Well, we uh, we, we, we
1: have put it off long enough because on Wednesday night, big announcement, Brandon. I don't know if you heard this. You were traveling yes. a lot this week. Mm-hmm. CM Punk will be on the debut episode of Collision on June the 17th at the United Center in Chicago. WrestleTix has reported that they are around 6,800 tickets distributed, and I guess we will be very focused on not just that show, but all the ensuing collisions um, to see what kind of bump that these shows get with the expectation that Punk will be on these collision episodes, although he has only been formally announced
2: for the Chicago date. He's on the artwork for the Greensboro Coliseum graphic, so I mean, I assume he's going to be on all of these if he doesn't have some suspension or conflict <laughs> before then, Um, yeah, the, I'm, I'm looking at the, the Russell Tick spreadsheet and it's for Hamilton, which is the, you know, the low one is still under a thousand seven hundred thirty. but you know, this is not since punk has been announced. So we'll see if that has any impact. I've, I'm kind of expecting that there's not going to be a ton of movement here. The problem, maybe there will be a little bit of movement right now. Um, so maybe the latest Russell Ticks updates on these shows will show as much as a thousand up, something like that. Um, but again, I've, I mentioned it before that, that interview that Raphael Morphy did with uh, Chris Jericho a couple of weeks ago, or came out a couple of weeks ago uh, where he says, you know, it's, it's oh, the, the on sale dates. That's where I think he says something like 60% of it happens. And then you get something like 30% at the end. And I'm sure this, this is a unusual case where you have a really significant announcement in the middle of this timeline, but I imagine a lot of that action is gonna, still going to happen towards the end. So again, I, I think it's, it's a, an evaluation to make once these shows are in the books. Do you think that there was a magic number of, of tickets sold
1: last week? That would have been the tipping point for them of, do we announce punk? Do we not announce punk? Like, obviously if this thing sells out, I don't know if they're announcing punk, but I'm curious, like they moved obviously like six to 7,000. Like, do do you feel this announcement would have been made
2: regardless in advance of the show? It depends on really what their creative plans are. And like, what, what Tony and punk want to do in, in terms of how they debut him. But, but sure, if it's sold out, if that you know, United Center sold out in a day or something, you don't have to announce them. And then that sort of signal that clearly everybody gets it. And that should tell you that all those other locations, the, the prospective ticket buyers get it. Um, but it, it could well be that a hey, ticket ticket sales are not great here. They're, they're not a home run. So maybe we should make it explicitly clear that CM Punk is going to be there.
1: Yeah. So the, the updated list of uh, dates. So they... They have the debut collision in Chicago, the next Saturday in Toronto that uh, is not doing uh, significant numbers yet. Then that week they do Wednesday and Thursday in Hamilton, with the Thursday being the collision date. Uh, July 8th is in Regina, the 15th in Calgary at the Saddledome. July 22nd is in Newark, and they have just added collision dates for August 5th. In Greenville, South Carolina, and August 12th in Greensboro, which Brandon mentioned, um, you know, the Greensboro uh, Twitter account, like the advertising, it features CM Punk right on uh, the ad. Um, and they've also added dates for uh, August 2nd in Tampa for a Dynamite Rampage taping uh, at the Yingling Center, which is where was the home of one of the eras of the
2: WWE Thunderdome during the pandemic. That's right. And I I don't think they've been to Tampa. And I know they had advertised this as their first show in that venue. Um, I don't know if they've been to to the Tampa metro area before. I'm sure they've been close uh, somewhere else in Florida, though. Uh, But yeah. And so these will be, I
1: think, very interesting shows to monitor and see what the appetite is. Like If you get a, a big surge in these markets, I think that's that's a massive um, feather in, in CM Punk's cap that he's coming in. And for, for those curious, on the AEW site, for all the collisions, they have the same poster featuring MJF, Orange Cassidy, FTR, House of Black, Miro, Samoa Joe, Thunder Rosa, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Andrade. And they have not been updated yet to include CM Punk on any of these, but I would imagine that they might be making alterations to that. But that remains to be seen of... Are there going to be specific talent earmarked for Collision? Are we going to have uh, a
2: mixture uh, going back and forth? And that remains to be seen. Yeah. They, I'm looking at the tweet right now from the Greensboro Coliseum complex. They, they have tweeted a, a graphic with the AW Collision logo and the date and CM Punk's face. Um, so at least they're, they're advertising it that way. Um,
1: yeah. You had no run-ins with uh, CM Punk on the strip
2: or in, in Vegas. I flew through was, Chicago and I was—I had my binoculars out. I was—I you know, had my magnifying glass out and I was trolling through the—I mean, strolling through the uh, the the terminal. I did not find him though. He was not on my flight.
1: No, you didn't see the uh, the guy facing the hard camera with the fill with two L's is a cancer sign. No, I didn't see that. I haven't seen the TV telecast, I guess. This was like – this was briefly uh, – the guy was, like, on the hard camera side, and the sign was visible, and then it was gone within um, – Do you think they took it away from him? Do you think they're, they're censoring uh, anti-punk sentiment? I mean, all I can say is I saw it once, and I never saw it again. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know what happened to the sign. But, I mean, you, you get this on camera. It's like you, you also
2: spelled Phil with two L's. So, I mean – Yeah. Um, there was a Variety article uh, oh, yes. yesterday. Uh Interviewing Tony Khan, uh, just just with it, talking about fast, fa- which is free ad supported television, which are ours, platforms such as Pluto, Tubi. There's others, um, but t- Tony Khan is quoted as saying. As we build a great library of historical content, it presents more and more opportunities for a potential fast entry, I think. I think that's a decision we need to make in part with our domestic media partners with Warner Brothers Discovery, who have a great presence in the world of streaming and figure out what makes sense for us in terms of our, our partnership. Um, so just doing some thinking about this earlier this afternoon, I'll have a write-up about it in the, in the news update for subscribers today. Just the, along the lines of, you know, and I, w- I was talking to somebody who, who works in, you know, who does content, who has content on, on a fast platform. And I, I guess that's a way better way to monetize video versus YouTube, um, in terms of the ad rates that you can get. So obviously the on YouTube, they probably make some money. It's probably not that much. Uh, W is very fortunate to be one of the most popular channels on, on YouTube, and maybe they have some sort of special deal. I would think with YouTube, they may even be selling ads directly against some of their content on YouTube. Um, but clearly, I mean, unlike WWE, AEW has not sold or, or monetized in any way their next day rights for Dynamite, Rampage, and, and they'll have another show to, to sell to, uh, next day rights to Collision. Um, and if, if you're in the U.S. anyway, I, I think you can get that stuff on demand as part of the, the fight subscription, I would think, right? Um, but there's no Hulu-like, uh, platform to, to consume AEW weekly TV on. So maybe that's a way that they could do that, but I bet what, what this is, looking into is, is whether, you know, AEW is going to do a fast channel. And I would see that not being a streaming service unto itself, but a channel that gets distributed on these various fast platforms, I would think. Um, so I, I think they're looking into doing a fast channel that would have their content on it, perhaps ring of honor content on it and, and weighing whether, hey, you know, WBD, do you want to put us on max and, and make it worth our while and pay us so that we do that instead? Um, so we'll see if that happens. Um, and I know there's, there's talk about all in where that's going to be telecast. And maybe that's going to be on fast. Um, I believe now though, that max has not telecast any live you know program yet in its history. Um, maybe that's something I think inevitably you're going to have some sort of live sports or live news on max. I think they've kind of been explicit about wanting to put news on there. Yes. Um, but is that going to happen before August 27th? Because I don't believe they have the capability to to broadcast anything live. So it makes me more bearish on the idea that All In is really going to be on a streaming service live. So what does that leave as the options? I guess it's pay-per-view or traditional TV. Maybe it ends up on TNT or TBS. Um, sort of weighing it out, though, that obviously the hazard is do you want to run a pay-per-view on one weekend and then the very next weekend run all out as a pay-per-view um that's gonna cause a lot of kicking and screaming uh among some fans if you do um but thinking it through i mean like if if i'm wbd how much am i going to pay for a a i mean it's a big event and maybe it'll do better than a dynamite rating even does maybe on a sunday afternoon but how much is that worth to wbd i mean I, i think a dynamite telecast is in in ad revenue is definitely is not even worth what their current deal is paying them, uh, in in a rights fee. So that's like $800,000 a week that dynamite and rampage are getting. Um, and I think, you know, what, what's, what would live, what would all in generate in terms of ad revenue? I would think it'd be well under a million dollars. Let's say, I think I can safely say that. So weigh that against what a pay-per-view would generate. Let's say, you know, I don't know, a hundred thousand buys or something like that. And that's, I think that's way over net revenue just to AEW way over a million dollars. So I guess just purely thinking, thinking in a business sense, it makes more, more sense to, to make this a pay-per-view. And I would add in also the point that pay-per-view historically has proved to be a pretty inelastic product. So by that, I mean, no matter what you price it as throughout the history of wrestling pay-per-view, the demand has stayed pretty much the same. Uh, there's other factors involved with demand, including the quality of the card and the brand and all that. but um, I think you, you, make more money certainly doing it that way. The question is how much, how much is it a cost of pissing off your fans, maybe by running pay-per-views and charging them $50 on two consecutive weekends. So I don't know if you have thoughts about that.
1: Well, I think with all in, if there is no definitive broadcast plan yet, I think you're weighing the options of what is, what is the most profitable option you would certainly argue like pay-per-view for that for that night versus the idea of okay maybe this is something that we take at a loss by putting it on broadcast but here is essentially a 3-hour commercial for AEW on national television that the true value of that will be realized in months and years to come that this is something that um hopefully would appeal to whether it be advertisers, business partners to turn on and see, wow, here is professional wrestling in front of 65,000 people. And this is a major league product. Um, Not all that different Uh, people that were following the ultimate fighter during like its glory days. They, you know, it built up to this rematch between Tito Ortiz and Ken Shamrock. And they did a phenomenal number on pay-per-view. This was in the summer of 2006, but it was a semi-disputed finish so they did a third fight between them and they opted to put it on free television and it did a monstrous number uh in october that year and it was you know you you probably could have put it on pay-per-view and it would have done maybe not what the second fight did but it was not going to bomb by any stretch but they put it on free television on spike and it was a, a big big turning point for them by just being able to have these television numbers that were through the roof and help accelerate their growth. Now that's a totally different generation. Um, and what, what does an AW big event do on a Sunday afternoon on a TNT or a TBS? I mean, I I don't know, like without a card or sense of how much anticipation there would be, like, what is your, your ceiling for that? But that, that could be the thinking too, if they, if they had that option on
2: the table. And I think that's a valid way to, to think about it. I'm gonna have to edit my, my write up here that, that there's a marketing value in, in, Projecting this telecast to the widest possible audience, at least in the United States, uh, and taking a lot less money for it than than you can make, or maybe maybe practically nothing, versus I don't know, making two million dollars on pay per view. There's an yeah. argument there.
1: And to refresh people's memories, when uh, Mega Parekh was on, I think it was the A to Z Wrestling Podcast, uh, she. St- that was where, you know, she stated that, you know, we're going to all in and then we're coming back for all out the next weekend. And I would think she's not just uh, assuming that, oh, we always run Labor Day all out, but uh, Tony Khan much more – uh it- uh cards close to the best uh this past weekend at the press i, I would think she, she would be among of, the people who would know I yeah think she would be are. in that circle where um I, I think she would she would know the schedule uh a couple months out but yeah tony khan has not revealed the uh the plans yet for all out i i would think the idea of back-to-back pay-per-views i uh, that to me would be what why are we running all out that weekend Then like push it off to another weekend because i i do not see that serving much of a purpose so there you have it. That is uh that is the latest in uh AEW. So you are uh working on your news update for today. So if you want to learn more about this, you can check it out at patreon.com slash wrestlenomics. And Wei Ting and I, uh, if you want to check out our review of uh Chris and Tammy, the premiere episode of season four of Dark Side of the Ring, that is up for post wrestling cafe members at postwrestlingcafe.com. We're gonna be doing like 30 minute reviews each Wednesday after Dynamite, uh chatting the uh this current season of Dark Side of the Ring, if you want to follow along. But a big thank you to Evan Husney for joining us and all of you uh, jumping in live, including uh, Neil Flanagan with the uh, the Super Chat. Maybe he has just inextricably launched a companion podcast for uh, Dark Side of the Ring that people can look forward to and and hear Bret Hart talk for hours about his entire career, which I have interviewed the man for hours. I mean, the man can go. <laughs> when you're that great, you, you got a lot to say. Yeah, he's he's never at <laughs> a loss. So uh there you go. Ca- Canadian uh Walk of Fame inductee at yes. the Hitman Heart, who uh, got great. his uh his star on the walk of fame last week. Yep. Will be a landmark that I'm sure wrestling fans will be flocking to in a couple of weeks when they're up here. Uh so that is it. And uh WrestleNomics this Sunday will feature Chris Gullo and Brandon Thurston
2: as uh No, yes. it will feature me and MJ from nj
1: Oh my <laughs> goodness, MJ
2: getting the call up. Okay. Yes, J- Jesse and Gullo are, are both off this coming oh, Sunday. So we're, we're calling in our designated hitter.
1: Okay. The, the, the CM Punk of Russellnomics. It is MJ (laughs) from NJ who will be, uh, be coming up and, uh, dropping his pipe bomb. So look out for that, uh, this coming weekend. And, uh, thanks to everyone for joining us. We will be back, uh, next week. You won't believe who we have as a guest. We don't know either, but, uh, look out for us next week. That is it for us. Thank you everyone. Goodbye.